thank you guys for being here. This is going to be a ton of fun. So if, if you, you know in your downtown community church, um, we've been going through a relationship series, and this night was scheduled to be a Q&A with Lindsay and I, and um, we were, I was texting with Adrian, and we were talking about, we were talking on the phone at first, and I proposed something um, that I think he thought would be fun, but quickly shot down, um, to which I shared my vision with Lindsay of sharing the stage with everybody, and then Lindsay put the um, friendly pressure, I think, on Wendy um, to say yes. And so, um, thankfully, I'm here with my good friends. Well, first off, my wife. She is also my good friend, um, Lindsay. You guys heard of this morning? She crushed it. If you see, um, so if you haven't heard that, I would go back and listen to it. And um, we've got Wendy Crawford. Uh, so let me actually let me tell you a little bit about. Yeah, you can. So let me just say this. Start off starting point. Um, with these four people, there are four different small businesses and two churches collectively. Um, two marriages. Says five, six, how many kids y'all have? Three, we got two, so five kids. So there's a lot that's happening. This is not an unbusy world, and so I'm very thankful for you guys. Wendy um, owns Dance Fusion. It's a dance studio, former Golden Girl at Florida State, correct? Um, and there's a question somewhere in this about Adrian uh, marrying way out of his league that we're going to get to, <laughs> I'm sure. Um, and this is my good friend and pastor of Engaged Church, Adrian Crawford. Woo! Very cool. Um, and so Adrian, uh, one, pastors engaged church. Uh, he um, formerly um, owned a company called Game Speed, but um, they, he's now has a new venture that's incredibly successful. It's called um, Nehemiah. Uh, new Rules Collective. New Rules Collective. That's it, New Rules Collective. And basically, um, they are a consulting firm, and they consult with some, some people and some brands that we've all heard of um, along the lines of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so anyway, so I'm, I'm so thankful to have you guys as friends and for you to be here tonight. And Allie is going to be asking the question. So in a second, I'm going to turn it over to her. Allie is my project manager. Allie's the, Allie's the person. Here's, let, me, let me capture Allie in a nutshell. She's the person who doesn't mind taking out the trash or running the company. Like she has range. That's really incredible. And so I'm thankful for you, Allie, for being a part of this as well, for asking us the questions. <laughs> and I just say, I will pray for you to make this thing wrap up in a timely manner. Mm, because when just Adrian and I in general, <laughs> on the stage, as you can already tell, it's going to take a while. So, sure. just kidding. Um, so, yes, thank you all for coming. I'm so excited to get into the framework tonight. We had a few of you all submit questions um, through Clearstream and on our Instagram. So, if you still want to submit a question, you can do so on Clearstream. I do not have the number memorized, but if you go to our Instagram and you go to our story, the number is there, and you can text in any questions that you may have. We're going to be updating these live, and so we might not get to all of your questions, but we'd love to get to a lot of them. Um, so as an easy softball question, I'm going to have each of these couples introduce how they met and then one characteristic that attracted them to each one another. So the Crawfords can go first. What's up, everybody? You guys good? First of all, before we get started, I'm going to tell you how this all came about with Ben. I actually called Ben to help me with the problem. And somehow I ended up on stage. <laughs> so I walked away with Ben. I was like, Ben, you want to talk about like the idea? I'm like, how did I yeah. call you to ask you to help me, and somehow I'm helping you, and you still have not helped me? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just, it's, it's the, amazing. The easiest negotiations to win are the ones that the other people don't know they're negotiating. Dude, so, no there you idea. go. Great yeah. job. Yeah, I got so, you. Well, how I met Wendy, I played basketball at Florida State when he was a golden girl. First thing I said to my wife was, when are we getting married? It's the first word I ever said to her wow. is when we're actually getting married. And so that was it. Now, again, I was not a follower of Jesus at the time. And so, fellas, this is the thing. You listen, shoot your shot. The rim's always open. You know what I'm saying? So I was out there, Steph Curry. I shot my shot. And she didn't really like it too much. Um, but over time, I mean, listen, the kid was irresistible. And so she <laughs> yeah, that's irresistible right, that's grace. That's Calvinism. It. I like that. That's good. Yes. <laughs> That was his first, we were walking, they were walking from the basketball training facility, and we were walking to the check-in point, he was like, hey girl, when we get married, I was like, this is why I don't date athletes, right <laughs> And then here we are. So 20 years later, <laughs> I'm apparently a liar, um, I do date athletes, um, but yes, no, it was, um, it was a lot of interesting beginnings of trying to figure out who we are. We were not saved when we first met, and then we... Um, got saved, and so that was a whole different process, uh, reestablishing our relationship, and now we're 20 years in and have three awesome kids, and yeah, yay. All right, so I mentioned this this morning. Um, I was in grad school, and I agreed. My roommates wanted me to go on a blind date, so I said, well, this will be fun and won't work out, and so I'll go back to Tennessee. Um, so I went to the Red Elephant 
Um, Red Elephant was the hot spot back in the day. Let's let's not <laughs> pretend like that was like low was class. Yeah. Man, we didn't have Red Elephant's like like it's like Tower Restaurant in Vegas, right? Like it's Red Elephant, right? Bro, have you ever had their boiled peanuts? That is See? the most See? Listen, that is See? the most country boy thing you say. Don't sleep on it. That's all I'm saying. I am black, right? I'm not going around like yo, bull peanuts, man. That's what I'm <laughs> but but so, I'm saying, just trying, just trying, just like. You know, I feel like this sleep. is when I'm supposed to jump in as the moderator and like get us back on track. So, Lindsay, <laughs> thank you, Alex. Right, yeah. So, Red Elephant. Um, I sat in my car because he was late, of course. Whoa, whoa. But he, you know what? He looked really good in his... Um... <laughs> oh, my gosh. This outfit was cool at the time, man. Don't... <laughs> like Red Elephant was? Um, so it was a Did y'all butter... hear his pastor appreciation month? <laughs> it was a... Um, it was a butter yellow polo with a navy That's... blue sweater vest. But they were, but it was V-neck first off, and they were cool at the time. So, yeah. It's true. You look really good. Thanks, son. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that when you're part of a boy band? <laughs> <laughs> we just got doing the ba ba ba. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It's right after ben that. Ben being late, I always tell people, Ben, I'm like, there's part of you that must be like black or something. Yeah. Always. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just so you know, you guys are gonna get listen. I say a lot of like racial type of things. So yeah. If, it, if you get offended, oh my god, I can't believe you said that. Yeah. You're in for a ride. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Just remember, I didn't say it. Okay. That's Sweet. all I'm saying. So. Yeah. <laughs> all right. No, so good. thank you all for sharing. Yeah. Those were both lovely and they're own ways. <laughs> yeah. um, well, hold on. What did, what did y'all like about each other? Athleticism. One thing. One sentence or one less. One thing. Mm. Oh, gosh. You go first. That was hard. <laughs> I would say I this. No, I would say, I mean, at that time, I mean, I think there was always this part, which again, you know, 23 years. You've been married for 29 or 23 years. It's 100%. It's just, just her, like, commitment and like loyalty is like it's fascinating to me you know what I mean like she truly is like you know like ride or die like I will go through like the world for you and she's that's how she is with her friends and stuff like that and I was always very attractional to me (laughs) he's cute um I think for me from um just under from my first real conversation I was like I feel like he's a safe place and he's still that so I appreciate that. That's good. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna hold on to this because he's scary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You can go. One thing I appreciate about you is that. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so many. Um. <laughs> That's when you say there's nothing. You're like, oh, there's so many. <laughs> no, there is. What there do is I pick? Uh. <laughs> um, I think, like we said, the dents in the door, right? Mm-hmm. I think you're the perfect person for me because you see my dents. And you help me through them, and then you love me anyways. So that's what I appreciate about you. Oh. To be all fair, I have far more dense. But, <laughs> um, so I'd say, the, the, I'll answer it this way, I'll frame it this way. The, one of the first things that really stuck out to me, and that was the initial thing, like, this is different, is um, she, was, she was brilliant but approachable at the same time. Her level of intellect, and she, was, uh, she had read far more than I was. I could tell she was, you know, going a lot farther in life than I was, and um, I mean, she would legitimately come home, so she used to work as a, um, a therapist at a juvenile prison. prison, yeah, for lack of a better word, and um, so she, I remember one time uh, when Bonefish was cool, we'd just go to like, I mean, what's the most typical <laughs> restaurants you can find, so um, uh, one time we met my dad, I think the first time we met my dad, we, were at, we went to Bonefish, and you, she had just come from having incredible rapport um, with these 15 to or 18-year-old, um, um, you know, kids who had basically been incarcerated, uh, and, and having great sessions, drove home, met us at um, Bonefish, and talked to my dad about like Stoyovsky or something like like something. I was like, man, I have I have you have y'all seen the Knowles play? Like that's all I got. <laughs> but she could like handle. Yeah, so she's correcting me on what the word is. So, anyways, so it was just it, it, there was just incredible range, and it was just really, really, really different in a positive way. That was very cute. Good job, Shay. Okay, so again, we're going to organize some of these questions in categories. So we're going to start with our single questions. Mm. Um, so this question is, what if I'm in my late 20s, early 30s, and still haven't found 
the one? What would you advise them? Okay. We just so we were 28 when we got married um, and 25 when we met. So I don't know how you want to qualify late 20s. Um, but I was the last of my friends, all my good friends, to get married. Um, so I got to be in a lot of weddings. Um, but in that time, I think I really just decided, you know, I don't want to waste my life. I'm going to use what I can and what I can be as single um, and kind of live it to the fullest. So I, you know, lived in Australia. Um, I went to Europe. I went to this place called Labrie, which is in England, for a couple weeks. Um, so I just kind of, and then I moved down here. Um, so I really took the time that I had and was like, one day I'm not going to be able to do this. And so I'm going to do whatever I want to do as a single person because I know that hopefully it will be, you know, have an end. And even if it doesn't, I'm not going to just sit and just wait to meet somebody. I'm actually going to go live my life and have some fun adventures. So that's me. Yeah. Um, put it just a little bit differently. As a friend to someone who's saying this, if my friend is coming to me saying, I, I think I missed my chance in college, like I had all these people around me and now I'm like in a young professional setting, what do I do now? Like, did I miss the boat? Like, what, what would you say to me as a friend to tell them? Well, you just tell them that they got married in college, they're probably going to get divorced anyway, so you catch them on the second <laughs> round. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. That was Adrian who said that, pastor of Engaged Church, for those of you who are podcasting this later. <laughs> no, um, well, I mean, I, uh, to, to, to that, I'd one, yeah. like a, a sense of singleness is a sense of, of, of worrying about the things of the Lord, right? That's what um, the, the New Testament kind of clearly speaks about is that, that that's kind of the mental preoccupation is Jesus, the things of Jesus, the things of God, um, and focusing on that. And so that's kind of the, the, one of the primary focuses and points and purposes behind it. But I think behind that, it, it's a really big myth that I think is unfortunately propagated in especially Southern Christian culture that you got to get married and you got to get married yeah. young. I think it's, I, I think it's, my 25-year prefrontal cortex has not even fully developed yet, right? So that, what that means is that you don't even fully comprehend the, the, the consequences of the long-term decisions that you're making. And that's not to say that you're always going to make bad decisions because God's grace is there because I make bad decisions every day, right? But at the end of the day, like, the idea that because you haven't done it by that point in time, you've missed the boat and that there's nobody left, it's just, man, I, I am so thankful, in fact, for us, that we met later on in life and really got serious about, like, you know, marriage later on in our, in our dating relationship and one of the great things was she knew who she was. I knew who I was. Um, and not only that, but we both knew who we were, what we were called to do, and the direction in life we were headed, right? And so when we're talking about us, it just makes it that much more um, easy and clear to define of, you know, if, if we think that this thing's going to work out. And so I'd say um, there's a lot of it that, unfortunately, Christian culture says, man, like, you probably to the school, you grew up at small Christian college, ring by spring, and if you don't have your ring by spring, you ain't getting a ring at all type of thing. And I think that is insanity, yeah. personally. And I don't find anything um, terribly biblical about that thought. Yeah. And I think that goes back to what, Lindsay, you were sharing this morning about what are the core beliefs that you're telling yourself? Is, like, the idea that you have missed the boat is that like, oh, I'm not lovable anymore because no one has chosen me. And then I guess diving deeper into that thought. Yeah. And I would say for you too, that was one of the things that was really uh, attractive about you was that you, you knew who you were. You, there wasn't a wavering in confidence and you knew the things that you were going after. And I was like, man, I, I, I want somebody that wants to change the world. So it was awesome. Yes. The Crawfords, this one will go towards you because we'll give the Kempfers a break. Um, this question is, in my singleness, one, what are some things that are okay for me to walk into a relationship struggling? And two, what are some things that I absolutely should not be struggling with when I go into a relationship? So what are some areas that are okay to struggle? And what are some areas that big red flags, no goes? I like how y'all got the hard ones. Yeah. I know, right? Intentional. Yeah. <laughs> I think starting off with this point, um, I think having a proper view of biblically this idea and thought of marriage, like this idea that the one is, it's rom-com American, just stupid, doesn't exist because, and again, I know I'm sounding very loving and caring, I am a really nice guy, but the reason why but I see so many people get spun out in Christian culture because of this because we get spun out because like, oh, who's the one? Who's the one? So let's play that out. What if somebody else just happens to mess up and take your one? Like the world blows up, right? Like there's no such thing. Wendy is the one for me because I chose her and she chose me. Mm -hmm. 
And I think so many times we live in kind of this romanticized world. So I would say first having a proper view. I think the second thing is having the right view of this is that no human being will ever complete you. And you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be willing to look yourself in the mirror and say, okay, why do I want to be married so bad? Why do I want to be in a relationship so bad? If what's constantly screaming to you when you ask that question, it's like, man, I feel like I am. I mean, okay, I feel like I'm not accepted. I'm not lovable. It's out of a past, whatever. What you're going to do is go in there. You're going to look for someone to fill the hole in your soul that only Jesus was meant to fill. That doesn't mean you're going to be perfect either, right? Like when we came together, we were not like fully what we are now and where we're going to be 20 years from now. But you can't go in thinking someone's going to do that because here's what's going to happen. People will hurt you. My theology is this. People suck. Jesus is awesome. That's good like, theology. Yeah, that's that. a, yeah, yeah. It's a simple. People like, because people will fail you. You know how many times I have failed her? How many times she has failed me? But we made a commitment to keep choosing each other. And if you don't understand that, what you'll do is you'll constantly look for someone to do that. And when they don't do that, now what? What happens now what? And again, and it messes up a lot of people through their process. And so that's what I would tell you. I would say first, have the proper view. And then second is that when there's giant holes in your soul, like don't jump into a relationship. But you have to, this thing, be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing I can tell you. That's probably summing it all up. Really be truthful and be honest with yourself. Sweet. All right. Kevin, do you have anything to add to that? What are some things that you can walk into a relationship struggling with? And what are some big red flags? Okay. Like the like domain. Red flags, red flags, red flags. Uh, if this person has left you open on Snapchat, red flag. Yeah. <laughs> just just delete there's Snapchat. A, there's a lot <laughs> delete it. Say. Just delete Snapchat. <laughs> there's a lot I would say if the other person would be red flags, but mm. me personally yeah. red flags. I'd, I'd agree. I mean, I just think in general, if you operate continually have a deficiency, yeah. um, then it's going to be really mm-hmm. tough for that other person to be sufficient for your deficiency because they were never meant to be, and it's going to continue to create a culture of toxicity mm-hmm. in a relationship. And so you're, you're never mm-hmm. probably going to be 100% perfect at that, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a difference between like perf- perfect and like what's your batting average. Mm-hmm. And please listen, ladies, like, I just want to tell you this. Don't think you're that special or dudes, you're that special. You're going to win them to Jesus. Mm. You are not God. Mm. There's one. Mm. And so that's what we'll do. So you got to be real. Like, oh, well, he kind of posted a biblical picture. Or you know what? Listen, (laughs) dude, listen, she had that. Listen, did you see him on Insta? (laughs) Did you see her on Insta with the swimsuit pick and like, you know, Ephesians 412, like underneath it? I'm like, yeah, because that had a lot to do with that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Dude, she she loves, like, she loves Jesus. I'm like, clothe the strength in beauty. Like, I don't think that's clothes. Clothe in in humility. (laughs) Word. Like, well, that kind of leads into our next question. <laughs> really? So, uh, yeah, we're just going to transition. Um, so now we're going to move to d- the dating phase. So if you are dating someone who doesn't truly follow Jesus, should you evangelize to them or break up with them? <laughs> break <coughs> up. Run. No. Yeah. I, I was supposed to be in my head. No, I think what's hard is, again, it's, it's what he said there. You get caught up in the initial stages of the possibility of being in a relationship, you're excited to be in that, and we don't realize how easy it is to overlook the very glaring things. Um, you will make more excuses for them than you will be truthful with yourself. And so um, I say run jokingly, but truly, if you guys aren't even at the very base of your relationship mm-hmm. agreeing on that, you are inevitably setting yourself up for very hard things in the future and um and you will look back and be like I brought this on myself because Mm -hmm. I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it Mm -hmm. instead of what God had for me and me waiting on his best and so um run or if you don't run like me you can just speed walk away (laughs) (laughs) can I ask a quick follow-up question to that because I think this is important because I think this is one of those things where it's difficult because a lot of times like we really want to be in that that relationship right there's like a level of attraction and maybe chemistry there whatever whatever it is um 
but from, I guess, more of a married perspective now, we know you know, the Bible speaks clearly, you know, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, which is um, inclusive of relationships, but not exclusive to only relationships. A lot of times we just narrow that down to a, um, a relationship verse. But now being married, um, thinking back about kind of mechanically, why is that important? Like functionally in marriage today, um, being married to someone who shares the value and the personhood of Jesus, um, why functionally is that important, do you think, for marriages to be successful, at least for y'all's or ours? That's a very classic Ben question. Yeah, can you say that more concisely? I can't. That's why I'm not a therapist. Ben, I got it. I got it, Ben. I got you. I got you. I got you. I thought y'all were sitting there like, like, man, that was a good question. Y'all like, what is he What did he say? (laughs) No, it's this, because let me tell you this. 20 years into being married, you know, I have personally, so let's talk about us, I have suffered with, um, you know, with depression and all those things. Life is really hard. When I marry someone, the first covenant we say in, in the, did a wedding yesterday, they make a covenant with God first. Then they make it with each other. Because the covenant with God is what's going to hold you. Because there's times this covenant, you're going to mess up. And what I mean by I'm not talking about like violating your marriage and infidelity, stuff like that. But I mean, you're going to hurt. So the thing that keeps you is it's something outside of yourself. And so if you don't have that, it's very easy to walk, especially in a culture that will tell you it's okay to walk. The more and more we get down the road, it is just, listen, it does not make you happy. Let me tell you this. Jesus does not exist to make you happy. He exists to transform you into the image of his son. And one of the greatest ways that he can do that is in relationship. You know how you learn unconditional love? is when the person you're laying next to right now, you don't want to love them, but you still have to. When you don't want to give them grace, when she has to live with the fact that she, in moments, didn't know if I was going to put a gun in my mouth and kill myself. But she stayed. She's more like Jesus. I joke, we've got three children, and any mothers in this room realize this, like, that changes you in so many different ways. I read it one time, like the guy said, and it's been true. I've been married to four different women, and it's the same woman. And what I mean by this is this. She has changed. She's matured. She's grown. We've got kids. We're different. But that's what keeps you. So being equally, being unequal, being equally yoked is so important because it will keep you there because life is going to get hard. And it has to be something outside of yourself that keeps you in it. Um, you talk about conflict and how in naturally in relationship you will have conflict. Um, and this kind of goes back to... Can I add one more thing to that real quick, Allie? I'm yes. sorry. I just, Get this yes, guy Yes, babe, let's go. I was thinking, like, should I? Okay, it's my church. I'll do it. <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be super quick. Um, one of the things you don't... So, I mean, I'm going to project into this situation, or this, this question. Um, more often than not, it's a girl who knows Jesus and a guy who's questionable, Right. Um, you want to make one of the most difficult um, hurdles for your kid to love Jesus, marry someone who doesn't, and expect your kids Preach. to. Um, it is functionally, we don't think about that, right? We don't think about our kids um, when we're getting married. But, but um, especially a father who doesn't know Jesus, is not insurmountable. That's a lot of our testaments, a lot of our story. But it makes it incredibly difficult because that puts the child in the position to say, I, I think I know better than my father. And that's just a difficult ask for a kid. And so I would just say functionally, there's, there's some real, I and mean, there's a lot of just functional, practical aspects that are difficult with that. But that's, as you're thinking about kids, that's one I would definitely say is a, just a real practical thing you've got to think through. Yeah. Okay, that was worth the interruption. Yes. You're, you're yes. excused. Got it. Um, okay, yes, going back to what I was saying, conflict obviously arises in dating and in marriage, but particularly in dating, how much conflict is too much conflict, and how do you know when it's time to like, oh, this is a little bit more serious and maybe not the best relationship for me to be in. How do you know when it's time to walk away in terms of how much conflict you experience? I don't think there's an actual like line in the sand, but um, conflict doesn't get better when you get married because you're making more and more decisions that are going to be impacting your future um, and both of you together. So I think it's, I don't know, so I know it's like, oh, well, you've hit the point of too much conflict now. But I think it's something to be mindful of, that you are fighting or bickering 
every day, every other day, a couple times a week, then that's something to think about because it's not going to get easier when you get married. And have kids. And have kids. When you were like, oh, yeah, I slept five hours last night. I feel awesome. I would love to love you so well right now. Right. (laughs) Yes. So, yeah, just be mindful of that. Like, yeah, it's kind of, it's going to increase with stress. So. Yeah, the person asking the question, I would ask you to go a little bit deeper. Instead of saying how much is too much conflict, the question needs to be, why are you having conflict? Like, why? Instead of it being like, because that's what we do. We do surface level. Like, well, we're having too much conflict. The question is why? And if you're willing to do that, then you can kind of start getting to it because it's the why you, is it them? How do you handle conflict? What happened growing up? Because some of you, you grew up in homes where, man, conflict happened. You just turn up, right? And it's just like, that's what you saw, so that's what you do. Others, it's flight. You just run in the corner. And, and so I think you've got to ask yourself, why is there conflict? Because that's actually going to answer, is it the right situation or when is enough or whatever? Because there's something fueling. And let me just give you just a word of wisdom. Whatever your first feeling is of why it's conflict is never the real reason. You've got to ask yourself why about two or three times to actually get to the real reason. Just breezing through. That was that was the application from Lindsay's sermon today. Oh. See, there we go. Okay, Holy Spirit. <laughs> um, okay. This next question is open ended, so feel free to take it whichever which way. Um, how do you not only set clear boundaries in your relationship, but make sure you keep them? So I'm sure there's lots of different ways to do this, but maybe a way that you found helpful um, in your dating relationship. I think uh, one of the biggest challenges is if you try to set them while you're in the middle of things. So setting them prior um, before you even meet said person would be great. Because right. um, as you meet said person, you're like, oh, well, maybe, maybe, maybe this instead of that. Um, they, they'll change easily. So I think um, having an idea of that before you even get going would be amazing. And then I think obviously accountability is huge. Um, then it's not just left to you, um, and you just know that you're going to do better in some seasons than you will in others. And so I know that was super great for us. Um, we had a net of the people who mentored us, our friends, everybody you know knew what we were trying to do and how we were trying to walk um, once we were you know solidified as this is what we're this is where we're heading. So that was really helpful to be able to have that. I'd say setting up um, places of accountability and transparency, like uh, Lindy's talking about, when you're healthy, because it's really difficult to ask for that when you're not. Um, And so doing it in advance. And I'd also say whatever your boundary is, uh, obviously clarity on that. And I would say whatever that is, back it up like two steps. Um, Because what we inevitably do in relationships is whatever that boundary is, we're just going to run up against it as quick as we can justify it, right? And so if I actually make the boundary as far as I'm willing to go, then at some point I'm going to keep pushing and keep pushing. And it's probably going to, you know, give way, yeah. um, but giving what I would consider a guardrail gives you room for accountability, right? Because up until that point, but then, you know, and then you, you know, kind of go through whatever that boundary is, and now you have to get accountability for it, and now you're trying to take it back instead of building in margin, I think, in that. Yeah. So I would say whatever your, your boundary is, that you're like, we really don't want to cross this, um, take it a couple steps back from that, and then make that decision on, and, on having the accountability there so it gives you room for error. Yeah. And Lindsay, being the therapist in the room, what would you say to emotional boundaries for a person that is going into a dating relationship, setting up emotional boundaries and what that would look like? Well, <laughs> funny you should ask that. I do this a lot with clients. Um, I do. It's, it looks like a kind of a, a bullseye. And we talk about the layers of relationships. So the people that are in the middle are your kind of closest ride or die people. And then as you progress out, it's slowly going to be like good friends and acquaintances and then maybe coworkers. And so I think natural emotional boundaries should follow those circles. So when you date somebody, first date, they're on the outside of that circle. And then as you slowly get to know each other, they move into that circle. And so the emotional boundaries of how much do you share with that person? And it shouldn't be too fast, but it should have some kind of parameters of this is where I'm going to let you in and we're going to build up trust and that kind of equal relationship. And so I'm kind of progressing inward. So. That's good. That's a good visual. Can I say one thing about that? This is really important, especially in Christian church context. Many of you guys make decisions to not physically cross boundaries, but you emotionally do it all the time. I tell people all the time, you're an emotional horse. 
like you are. <laughs> no, 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 don't be sorry about that. Like you really are this because here's what happens. Because you cross so many, because here's what we do. Yeah. I see it with Christian dudes and literally as a father of two girls, I literally want to put my hands on you because here's what you do. <laughs> you don't fit, you won't physically, oh, I'm not going to do it. But what you do is you play into Christian girls' emotions and you go from, I'm not sleeping with anybody, so you justify it. But in the depths of your heart, it is, it is broken what you're doing because what you're trying to see, do I still kind of have it? I'm not going to sleep with you, but emotionally can I pull you along? And some of you allow guys to pull you along. And some of you girls, you do that, oh, we're not doing this, but, you know, and you just do this. Because here's the thing, getting married is just not the fact that like, oh, it's great. You get married, then man, yes, if you're honoring God, you finally, okay, you get to sleep together. But the beauty of coming together is now there's parts of you emotionally, you actually get to share with that person. See, there's certain things I think we let people in on emotionally that is never supposed to be until you have a covenant with someone. And I think that's really important because what we can do is we live there and I see it a lot. And then we're wondering why we're turning upside down. You're made up of body, soul, and spirit. You have emotions. All right. That's why the whole lie in today's culture, you can just, you know, like, I mean, just like, and again, in a hookup culture that we're living in right now, that we're just, you know, like we're just these like flesh things walking around and just sex is just these, you know, just the bumping up of just two like, like pieces of flesh. It's not, you can't just turn off your emotions. Like seriously, I've been sorry. You just can't like, I'm sorry. You just can't turn off your emotions. Let's be real. Oh, we just don't do it. Get out of here. You can't do that. Because you're made up of more than that. That's why you leave the person and you end up keying their car. <laughs> or acting crazy. Why? Because you're emotionally tied to that person. So make sure you guard that. Sorry. I love all of you. You're awesome. There's no one in this room. It's all the people who yeah. listen to it on the podcast. Yeah. That's you. Yeah. Um, these are kind of as it relates to more boundaries. But what are some things that I shouldn't compromise on? Um, in somebody that I date and what's kind of that line that you guys made or would recommend making is terms of like physical touch and sex in relationships. I know we're talking about this last week or next week at church, so kind of a little bit of a prequel. Well, I'd say part of it, I mean, I think Adrian hit it on the head. So typically in a relationship, this isn't 100%, but typically um, the the physical, the guy will use the emotion to get physical intimacy. The girl will use um, physical intimacy to get the emotion, right? Which is, I think, part of the power of what Adrian's saying, like the emotional connection especially from guys to girls, kind of how we feed into that. Um, we're going to get into it some ne- uh, next Sunday, but I would say there's a couple things. One is I would uh, recommend, um, and actually Albertson was telling me about this, um, no physical touch for three months, uh, and that's a really specific reason, and there's really uh, strong chemical things that happen, especially in, in, in um, ladies' brains when there's physical touch. There's, we're, we're actually going to walk through some of like the science behind, like not just God says this is what you ought to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd say... That's a really good one. And what was the question again? It was kind Sorry, of too my ADHD. I'm it like, was too oh. combined. Yeah. <laughs> I pulled a U and I just combined a bunch of questions. I said, what are things that I shouldn't compromise on in somebody that I date? That was part one. And then what is the line when dealing with physical touch and sex while dating? I think some of it just, again, it comes back to this. You have to be willing to be honest with yourself. Mm-hmm. That's like you can't look at someone else. You have to look at yourself. So here's an example. The last year of us being together or being like when we were getting gay or whatever, we didn't kiss. Here's why. I just wanted to get across the finish line. Dude, I was just trying to win. You know what I'm saying? And I was just honest. I'm like, nope, not going to happen. Like literally the week leading up to us getting married, I'm like, nope, don't. Talk to me, don't touch yeah. me, don't do yeah. anything. All don't right? even text me. Yeah, don't like, no, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, nothing. Uh, because literally, because why? You're just, you have to be honest. So you have to know yourself. Like, like and ladies, let me tell you this. Like, for guys, like, it may not be a thing for you, but it may be a thing for them. And you have to be very honest with yourself. I think so many times we lie and we think we're not Christian enough. If we have like, yo, I can't even hold your hand. Well, hold on now, like, no, like you just have to be honest. And I think if you're honest and your boundaries build out of your honesty and being truthful. Yeah. One thing I'd say too about not compromising on, and, and this is one of the things I think is, is really important, is an area of compromise I see that's not necessarily obvious on the surface is, and we were clear about this. In fact, I, 
I have a lot more difficult things to live with than Lindsay does. Most of the times it's like, she's frustrated me. I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And she's like, well, what did I do? And I'm like, you got frustrated with me. That's the only thing I want you to change is not be as frustrated with me when I do forget the question for the 17th time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, um, the thing I would say is uh, one thing to not compromise on is only it is being honest with yourself. Um, don't overlook the fact that we have the potential to, to marry who we want the person to be and not who they actually are. Yeah. Um, and well, Lindsay and I had multiple conversations of like, hey, like if I never change, like if I never get, you can't because you're not, then you're not marrying me. You're marrying who you want me to be. And I want you to love me for me. If I never get better, if I never change, and I will go to my grave trying to become a better person, um, but I would say if you feel like you are pursuing this person or y'all are dating or y'all are engaged, whatever it is, and and the the success of the relationship depends on them changing, um, in fact, them getting worse because in marriage the frequency increases of friction because you're around each other, the communication, the conflict, all that stuff. So if it actually just gets worse and doesn't get better, um, is this still a thing that you not just feel like you could make it, but you would still look forward to? Because if that's the case, then I think there's a lot of things that you can get through, and that's some of the stuff that's like, hey, I know I've got a lot of, you know, um, tendencies. And so within that context, like, are you cool with me? You know, not just like who you want me to be. Yeah, Yeah, year seven of marriage, you wake up. Like, you literally wake up to like, oh, you're not going to change, huh? Like, seriously. And that's why people in seven, like, they really start going sideways a little bit because you're like, you think they're going to change. Everyone goes into it, like, with, like, Ben hit that. Now, you guys have to really, I want you to really hear what he said and why I want to emphasize this because it's one of the realest things that you will hear. Most people, you think you are so good or we are all so good, they're going to change because they love me. And they love Jesus. They're gonna, now, they're going to try. But some things, let me tell you this. They're just going to be like, I love this woman. But here's the truth about it. She always is going to put more on her plate than she can possibly handle. And that's just how it is. And you know what? She's going to be stressed. It is okay. And you know what? That is just part of it. And there's, I mean, so many of my things. But again, you just wake up and it's important to understand that. Because I think if you don't, you're going to always think that. And then when they don't do it, you're like, oh, man, I'm here. What do I do? Mm-hmm. Don't think you're going to change them. That's good. Um, this kind of talks about what those conversations that you had leading up to engagement. Is there any conversations that you wish you would have had before getting engaged, before getting married, that you feel like would have been really beneficial to your marriage? Mm-hmm. Can we also say any ones that you did have you felt like would have been beneficial? Yeah. yeah. Okay. We had a lot of conversations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a big one that you don't think about is children, right? Of like, how are you going to discipline your children? How are you going to raise your children? What are the, like, will they believe in Santa or not? That was a conversation we had. Um, so I think. Santa's real, for the, for the record. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Pretty kids listen to the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah obviously. Um, and then another big one is finances. Have the finance to conversation, right? Because Ben loves to spend money. And I'm like, no. <laughs> Don't buy from as Amazon you can tell again. My clean shoes as I sit on stage. Right. Yeah. Just Amazon Prime everything, Ben. Stop. Yeah. No. Um, but yeah, I think the big one, yeah, finances, right? How are you going to spend your money? How are you going to save your money? How much are you going to spend on Amazon, right? Those all good conversations. One of the things, too, that we had that I thought was a beneficial conversation, this is just for anybody that's pursuing ministry. Um, we had a really intentional conversation. I've had a couple of really intentional conversations to the point where I felt like you didn't think that I believed you, but I just, like, really wanted to make sure, um, was I felt like God had a place to calling on my life. Um, and so the question was, um, uh, it, it wasn't, are you okay with me being in ministry? Do you support me being in ministry, but do you look forward to that? And the reason that was important to me is because I had seen people who um, the, the demand of ministry is real. Like, it just is. Like, most times when you see me, the reason that you see me and not us is because she is, is taking my load of our family so I can be here with you. In fact, every Sunday night, that's, that's why I'm here. It's because of her. And not everybody sees that. And if you don't look forward to that and you're just okay and supportive, eventually support erodes and it becomes um, frustration. Frustration leads to resentment and resentment leads to a lot of really difficult issues. And so we had a couple of really intentional conversations going into it of saying, hey, are you sure that, that you're in for this type of thing? I would say I wish that, one, the finance thing was 100%. Because later we did it. We did this test before. 
and compatibility was zero. <laughs> zero. A hundred percent was a zero. And literally the zero is because it was like, and it was me. You know what I mean? Because I am. I'm like, being like I just spend money. No one really ever taught me about money. I can make money, but I'll spend money. And Wendy is over here, you know, like Scrooge McDuck. If you ever watch those show DuckTales, she's hiding gold coins somewhere. So if something ever happened, I mean, she's probably got Bitcoin somewhere I don't even know about. Um, but she just does. And so I'm super uh, thankful for it. But I also say I wish a conversation we would have had. Um, we, we got, we both got, you know, really, you know, saved in a very, you know, like charismatic expression. And in the fact of like people working, because we grew up in a world where, like, hey, if you were a Christian and you were a mother, I mean, you stayed at home with the kids, you homeschooled. That was kind of the culture we grew up in. And I realized, not knowing for years, I suffocated Wendy because I was trying to get her to fit into this box until I began to realize Ephesians 5, husbands lay down your life for your wife is Christ, lay down his life for the church, give himself up for her. The best way I've ever heard it said was that my job as a husband is to present the best Wendy Crawford to the world. Mm -hmm. And what that means is that she has a call in her life. She runs an incredibly successful business. She does these things. And my responsibility was like, man, I'm a go-getter, just run and go chase. I had a mother who's a stay-at-home mom. And deep in my heart, I didn't mean to do this, but that's really what I wanted Wendy to be. But it was never who God designed her to be. And it took a long time. And that's one of the things, you know, you go back, I regret that because it was a lot of suffocation. So that's why I tell our church all the time, you get me, you don't get her. Because it's not even biblical. Like, oh, well, the pastor's wife has to do this. Says who? But I think it's really important. I wish I would have had that conversation because, again, living sometimes in a world where you're like, oh, two, I mean, we are two parents I mean, who run businesses and lead our children and we do this church thing and whatever. And sometimes we deal with the pressure of people like, oh, I mean, people like looks at us sometimes. Are you both work? I'm like, yes, like most of society. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Christian bubble is the only place where this doesn't happen sometimes. But anyway. That's the conversation I wish. I like it. Thanks for sharing. Um, okay, moving on to our married section. We're almost through. All right. The easiest portion, being married, right? <laughs> for all the problems um, go away. Yeah. So this question is, what is your advice for a young couple when one person wants to get married very soon and the other one wants to wait a few years solely because they feel like they are too young to be married? <clears throat> okay. That was, that's a big thing that we're disagreeing on. Mm -hmm. So I think that goes back to everything that he said about why, knowing, knowing yourself, understanding, mm -hmm. you know, who you are, where you are, where that person is. If that's a pretty, if you guys aren't on the same page there, that is maybe not a red flag, but a nice bright orange yeah. that we may need to consider. Yeah. To say too young doesn't even make sense. It's not a reason. That's a yeah. state of being, right? Mm -hmm. Like young is meaning something underneath that. Like to yeah. say, oh, I can't get married because I'm too white, right? Like, like that doesn't even make sense. So to say I'm mm. too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. In, today, in, today, hey, right, in today's right. world, yeah. I don't know, man. <laughs> but it's one of those things where like, right, that, like that in and of itself isn't a reason. Right. It, it, it just is a thing. And so what that actually you're saying is, is there's something about youngness, the state of youngness, that I feel like maybe I haven't experienced, I haven't done, I haven't whatever, mm -hmm. and so it's getting yeah. to the point of like right. getting to the bottom of that, right? Mm -hmm. Young, being young, isn't a reason. It is a state of being, and mm -hmm. underneath that state of being is the reason. Right, yeah. I just have feelings. I don't know what the, my thoughts are about that. I think it's a bright orange flag, like when said, like, ooh, maybe pause and, and yeah. think about that, or, or call me. Yeah. <laughs> Especially a couple of years, like, break up. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. That's yeah. just probably. Yeah. I don't know. It, it didn't work. No, I'm, I'm with you, Ben. A couple yeah. of years, you're like. Yeah. Like well, I mean, if it's like, hey, I want to get married now. Well, give me a half a decade. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you can go kick rocks with that. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> All right. We got two more questions. Um, that's what Paul One, said, what was the most shocking or surprising thing you experienced as newlyweds or the first few months of marriage that maybe you didn't anticipate? Dude, how unbelievably selfish I am. I will agree with that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so the first few months. Yeah, I mean, you just don't realize it because you actually think you're like a naturally giving person until you actually have to live with that person all the time. And you're just like, 
I want my space. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> or like, you know what I mean? I am that way. I'm still this way. Like, you're eating. Like, I'm the type of person, like, I'm still selfish in this way. So ladies, I tell her all the time, we go eat. We work really hard. I have the ability to pay for this now. Okay, we're in college, maybe not. But now I do. So do not eat my food. <laughs> I will order... I will order you whatever you want. Two of them if you want it. But I ordered this. This is my food, and I will eat my food. And I don't want to share with you at all. Why would I share with you? Because we, it makes us be more... No, it's not that we're more in love. No, I want to eat my food. You want to get us in conflict, eat my food. Sorry. I just, I, just, I just want you guys to know that we just came from a restaurant where I shared my fries with Wendy. So, Wendy, I got you, man. I got you. Yeah, just call me. There we go. <laughs> Fixing. Hey, just like in today's world, the white guy coming to the rescue, right? I'm just like, <laughs> Somebody had to save the day, you know? Somebody had to save the day, right? All lives matter. And I'm just... Give me the I'm sorry. Rewind that and delete that. <laughs> Our first, year, our first year of marriage was fun. Ben had just stopped being homeless, so he was showering. <laughs> Showers are so That good. was really, he didn't smell homeless anymore, so it was really uh, fun. Uh, <laughs> it was, I just set the bar, my life's motto was set the bar real low. And like, man, it's just so easy to see that. We were making no money, like negative money. Um, <laughs> we were paying people to work, yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, um, Oh, Ben started the church the month we got married, and so he lost his income and was making nothing because tithe back in the day was like 30 bucks, no joke. Well, now it's like 50, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we're good. We're good now. Um, I don't know. I think because we were. How old were y'all when y'all got married? I was 22. Okay. That's incorrect. No, that's incorrect. <laughs> I had Jalen at 25. It's not possible. So we're good up here. <laughs> we are very unaware of our ages. I actually don't remember either, but we're both wrong. So we'll, we'll, we'll do the math we'll later back. and we'll send you a memo via text. Um, but no, <laughs> but we were, we were younger. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, we were younger. Because mm -hmm. um, we had Jay, I was around 25. So yeah. we, and we waited mm -hmm. about four years before we had him. So. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. I think the fact that we were a little bit older also. Yeah, made so it a little we bit were easier. older. So, yeah, I mean, occasionally we'd have like our homeless buddies over, but other than that, first year was fun. So that's not a joke either. That's not a joke. That's, <laughs> that's not a joke. A, yeah. No. I, the, one of the most so uh, to be honest, I now I'll, I'll pause and say this. Everybody's everybody's experience in marriage is different, right? And so it, it, there's just so much. When Lindsay and I did our premarital, our top three levels of compatibility were spirituality, communication, and conflict resolution. Mm. So we have Jesus in common, first and foremost. Um, we communicate well, and when we don't communicate well and we have conflict, we resolve it quickly and easily, mostly because she's the therapist, right? And so with those three things... He draws pictures for me. It's yeah, awesome. she's like, tell me how you feel. I'm like, I don't know how I feel. I can't label it. We'll Give me that red crayon. <laughs> <laughs> but I would say that, for, honestly, for me, one of the most more surprising things is I thought, like, um, I have had so many friends who that was their story, you know, that it, that was really, really, really difficult. And I do think that's a legitimate um, expression of a lot of people's story for us um, that wasn't ours. It was, I was surprised by how, I don't know, I, I, like I knew I liked you, but like I was like, yeah, it turns out it's right. I do. So um, it was just, it was, I was surprised by how easy, I feel like I shouldn't say that out loud because then it just makes everybody else just feel difficult or the wrong expectation with that. But that was probably the biggest surprise to me is, like, she was just awesome. Oh. Adrian got awesome later. Yeah, when he was 28. So he was <laughs> no, no, he, he really was fine. We were both a mess. Um, we got married and moved to Spain because he was playing basketball overseas. So uh, we had a little bit of a different story. That's before, you know, all the social media things to kind of keep you connected. So we really were by ourselves, we knew eight people over there that spoke English. We had one channel that had American TV situations. Um, so it really was a whole different situation for us. Um, the community was huge for us when we were here. And so now we really had to stand on, like it's literally you and me. I'm mad at you, but you're, 
the only person who can even understand what I'm saying, so I'm really <laughs> stuck talking to just you. Um, you know, I was telling Lindsay we had very expensive phone calls with our pastor and pastor's wife at like 3, in the, 3 a.m. because our time zones were so different. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, I definitely, um, I tend to Cinderella things. I like to um, believe the best in people, and I like to overlook things. This is why I said don't overlook them. Um, because then you're like, oh wait, this is real. And, um, we really had to work through that. But I do love that we had that time because we couldn't go to other things or other people. We, it really was, all right, we made this commitment, so let's live this out. And so we really had the opportunity to, um, work through a lot of, a lot of differences, hard things. And, um, yeah, so it was, it was hard, but it was good. Um, so when we did come back to the States and decided to stay, I felt like we were in a really good place to where, you know, parent, like we literally left in leave and cleave that happened. Like we Mm -hmm. left everybody and everything. So, um, but yeah, so it was hard, but it was good. Yeah, that's good. Last question. I snuck in an extra one, so this is actually the last one. Um, is how do you not idolize one another in a marriage above God with him being primary counselor and comforter when you obviously have your spouse who it's easy to run and turn to when life gets hard and tricky and difficult? It's a lot easier when they don't share your fries. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I love Wendy. <laughs> um, I, I would tell you this is that you have to, for the rest of your life, begin to be, you know, one of my uh, heroes is here. Um, I tell a guy, Dr. Mike Zoda is here, and he pretty much I tell people he got, he was the answer to prayer to save my life, right? And one of the things he constantly says is be an expert of self. I think how you don't let your spouse be an idol is when you're an expert of self, meaning you begin to see what drives you. What Because when you begin to really dive into that, if you don't, if you're not aware, you'll try to find something else to fill that for you. And so it's the constant work of allowing the gospel to get to the basement of my soul. Most people never allow the gospel to ever get to real issues we quote scriptures like they're a pagan mantra sometimes. They don't affect, like, you know, just don't be mad, don't be mad, don't be mad, you know, and you start quoting, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self control, it's fruits of spirit, I have them, and you do that, but then it's like, but why are you mad? Like, why are you mad? Always remember this. One of the first things I ever learned sitting in the doc's office, Genesis 3, and this will help you in marriage. Adam and Eve, where are you? Did you really think God didn't know where they were at? He wanted them to know, do you know where you're at now that what you've done? And that has been the journey for most humans. They have no idea. It's head and heart are disconnected and they have no idea where they are. And so the constant thing you have to ask is where are you? You know what I'm saying? It's being fully who you are and learning how to do that with someone else. And so when you do that and you do the emotional work and you allow the gospel to get there, it'll change you and it'll allow your spouse to love them and care for them, but to have the proper position in your life because when soon as they don't they'll get elevated and i'll say a good thing you get a good thing that becomes a god thing is a bad thing yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that was good that was good okay write that down um i also say not all idols in your spouse starts when you're single because you've got to build that relationship with the lord and prioritize that that's going to continue in dating because you don't just get married and are like, Oh, I don't idolize you anymore. I'm great. It starts when you're single. And that's why taking advantage of the time that you have when you're single is so important because if you're going to sit around and wait for your spouse to come, then you're going to idolize them because they're already an idol in your life when you're single. Yeah. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> On the front row. <laughs> it's like, Ooh, Ooh. Yeah. Um, I, of course, I have stuff to add. Um, I would say, one, so part of the question was so they don't feel the. Read the question again for me. There's a couple uh, particular nuances. Yes. 
How do you not idolize one another in marriage above God with God being the primary counselor and comforter? In our I don't lives? see why that person couldn't be the conduit through which God works to mm-hmm. comfort and counsel, right? So I don't think that those are in diametric opposition sure. to one another. And so I'd one challenge the assumption that your spouse can't comfort and guide, right? That's only a place that God can do. I think that's a primary place that it ultimately comes from God, but it can, can, can come through your spouse. Um, and I think the biggest way that you don't idolize your spouse too is like you just magnify God, right? So that's a big part of it. Like, like Lindsay, and I've told her, I was like, man, I hope you don't die. Cause like, like I, I would survive without her, but it would, it would, it wouldn't be good. Like it would just, it would, like, and, and she's just, <laughs> and she's just, she's awesome. Right. I mean, that, that finding someone who, um, I can fully trust and fully know and who loves me, cares about me and all my strengths and my weaknesses that are just as strong as my strengths. Um, and still chooses me, it's incredible, right? And as incredible as that is, <clears throat> the Bible clearly, Isaiah clearly says, he sits enthroned above the circles of the earth and the people are like grasshoppers, mm-hmm. right? He, he counts the stars in the sky and calls them each by name, right? Uh, and a God who so loves me, who's so incredible that if they were to compare me to him, I would be more like a grasshopper than a human being, Right? In, in the God who would send his son to die for a, not just a grasshopper, but like an annoying freaking grasshopper, right? Like the one that's continually chirping and you're like, shut up, you're a grasshopper, right? Like, like I, wouldn't, I wouldn't give my kid to die for, I would die for my kid, right? But to give my kid to die for a grasshopper, like that, to some degree, I'm like, that's just irresponsible, right? But that God dying for me, the more I'm aware, kind of the way Adrian's saying, like the roots of the gospel in our life has a component of it that's a magnification of God. And I think part of it is just like, man, seeing God in his greatness, his grandeur, and his glory, he sits in front of the circles of the earth. It just puts everything in its right posture. Real quick, can I do something real quick? I, wanted to, I do want to say this because I want to pray for you. Because most of you guys sitting in this room, you're all Gen Z, you're young. And let me just tell you this. I say some super difficult things, but I want you to know, here's the thing. Like, I so believe in your generation. Boomers, Gen X, we screwed it up. Millennials, uh, they think they're good. They're really not. Um, but you guys, though, Gen Z, once you're in there, you are really, really have an opportunity. And let me tell you this. You are facing one of the most difficult times to be alive especially if you're actually trying to serve Jesus and honor Jesus in a world that tells you, man, like, it's, listen, when we came up, it was seen like when we were like, oh, we're waiting to have sex until we get married. Like, even though people were like, okay, that's like, they were like, man, that, they saw that as an honorable thing. In today's culture, that is not seen as honorable. It's actually seen as the complete opposite. And so I want to encourage you, the fact that you're sitting in this room tonight, willing to come here to hear people talk about marriage and relationship, I want to commend you for being here, but I also want to pray for you because it's really hard. I don't say this because it's easy for you. It is really hard. And I wish I could tell you it's going to get easier. It will not. We are living in the wake of replacing lies with, we replace, you know, we have lies and that's what we live in especially when it comes to relationship. And so, but I do want to tell you, these steps that you guys make right now, as a single person or as a personal relationship, it's one of the, I believe right now, it's one of the greatest evangelistic tools you will have for the gospel and for Jesus. Because let me tell you this, when you do it, listen, we're seeing the wake of what happens when people live however they want to live. And when you honor God, there's something about that. And so what I want to do, if it's okay, before we close, is just to pray for you guys because I know how hard it is. I want to say this. I I can have empathy for you, but to be in your shoes in this generation, it is really difficult. And I commend every last one of you from actually being in this room tonight, wanting to learn that. So if you don't mind, I would love to pray for you guys tonight. So Jesus, we thank you. God, I thank you for every person that's in this room. And God, we all have stories There's real pain in this room, God. There's real, real pain. God, I hope tonight as we talk very clear, I hope in no way does anyone walk out of here with the lie of shame. I pray, God, right now for some, there's real, real, real trauma that happened. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, for you to come and for you to begin to heal them. God, I believe that the prayer of a righteous man or woman is powerful and effective. 
God, we are righteous because you, Jesus, imputed righteousness to us. This is not our behavior. It's you. So, God, I know the prayers that we're praying right now are powerful and effective because Jesus of who you are. So in Jesus' name, I pray for healing. I pray for those who've lived in shame. I pray for those right now who don't have hope, who you've put a dream in their heart or desire in their heart to be married and they feel like this is never going to happen. I pray that hope would arise. I pray for those right now who are on the edge of saying, man, I just, I'm just not going to do this Jesus thing anymore. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I pray that they would find, I pray you would begin to move in their heart to realize this is the greatest thing they could ever do with their lives. I pray for those right now who are struggling. I pray for strength. I pray for those who are living right now in ways that don't honor you. I pray, God, that they would repent of their sin, but they would know they could turn to an unbelievable God, a compassionate, loving God. And Father, I pray that there be story upon story and testimony upon testimony of people in this room who decided to honor you and to love you, even in a difficult culture. And God, let all glory be given to you. We love you. We honor you. We can do these things and ask these things because of your son Jesus' blood spilt on that cross, but also his glorious resurrection. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen.